When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Record Rangers podcast. I'm Gary Armstrong and today I'm joined by Scott McDermott and Johnny McFarlane. On the pod today, we examine what is the holdup in Rangers manager search and we ask, does Michael O'Halloran have a Rangers future? And as Brian Loudrup appears to give his take on a new manager, we look back on his time at the club. So starting off guys, it's been 21 days since Pedro left Ibrooks. What's taken so long for Rangers to get a replacement in at Ibrooks? Good question. Good question, Gary. Um, it's becoming slightly farcical now. I, I think uh, Rangers search for a manager. I mean, I think any any Rangers fan you speak to would, would expected something to be something to be done by now. Everyone immediately thought the obvious choice would would, would be Derek McInnes. The, the answer seemed to be staring the, the Rangers board in the face. But the longer it's gone on, you say 21 days, um, I, my feeling now is that, that it probably won't be Derek McInnes because if it, if it was going to be him, surely it would have been done by now or surely there would have been some way down the road, whether it be speaking to Aberdeen, speaking to Derek McInnes or his representatives. Um, it seemed fairly simple f- from the outset, but... The longer it's going on, the more complex it's got. So many names now in the heart. You'd Rangers, slightly bizarre statement uh, a few days ago, coming out kind of telling people not to panic that everything was in order and they were still accepting applications and, and CVs, um, which I thought for a club of Rangers size was a wee bit, a wee bit strange to me. Um, but who knows now who it's going to be. Um, Mark Allen... He's clearly got a big influence now in there as director of football, probably a bigger influence than a lot of fans thought initially um, in terms of finding a new manager. I think that's probably the reason why it's taken so long is because there is now a director of football in place and he's going to have his own thoughts, which might differ to the boards. Um, <coughs> my feeling is that as a director of football, Mark Allen should have probably known that, that Pedro Cachina was under severe pressure by the time uh, that that Kilmarnock, that midweek Kilmarnock game came round which was eventually the end of them um, and you would, have, you would have thought that at that point even at that point Mark Allen would have had a list of people lined up or maybe even you know, spoke to a couple of people to see if they were interested so that the process could have begun in earnest as soon as Cachina went that doesn't seem to have been the case that's why it's taken so long and we're no closer to finding out who the new manager's going to be. And Johnny, do you f- still think that Derek McInnes is Rangers' number one target? No, I don't. I, I actually agree with Scott, and I think we're the first people to really say this. Yeah. Um, this we, we had a debate yesterday in the, the record offices here 
uh, on video and the guys were still saying they felt that Denny McInnes was the number one target. I, I don't, because as Scott says, I think Mark Allen has got a major say in this. I'll, I'm just going to read you a quote from Mark Allen. This was on Rangers TV. It's not been publicised, this interview, and it's it's been the driving force behind me thinking, from the beginning, being quite sceptical about Derek McInnes getting this job. Uh, the question he's asked is, will the arrival of a new manager impact on your strategy or structure in any way? Mark Allen says, no, no. This is a club-led philosophy, and the manager's a significant part of this. The manager will pick the team, the manager will pick the tactics, but I think we have to have a club-led philosophy and it's my job to ensure whoever takes the job fits into that philosophy. Now, to me, that quote just means it's highly unlikely Mark Allen and Derek McInnes is going to be a fit that works because Derek McInnes has a track record of going into clubs, revamping clubs, and taking a, a, a major influence across the entire footballing department. Is he going to want to come into Rangers and have to fit into a club-led philosophy. I don't think he's that guy. He's never been that guy before. So I think bearing that in mind, you have to start to reassess the the standardised logic, which is that Derek McInnes is the number one target. Derek McInnes is the, is the obvious guy. I just don't think he is based on, on this, based on the length of time it's taken to get him in. Because I think if Dave King... Or one of the other guys on the board was to make a real play for um, Derek McInnes now. I think it'd be it'd be undermining Mark Allen. Um, so I think it's a really difficult situation the Rangers board are in because they've given this guy the autonomy to be the director of football and go out there and and uh, and, and take charge of the football department. And now you've got a situation where he seems to be looking in other areas than what most of us feel is the obvious one. Yeah, I mean. My personal opinion is, and I've said it many times on here, that, that Derek McInnes is the right man for Rangers, and I think he is the guy that they should go and get. I think he's got the best credentials. I've spoke so many times about it. He knows the history of the club. He knows Scottish football. He's finished second to be Aberdeen, which would be would be an achievement for Rangers at this at this stage in terms of where they are. But I agree. It's it's quite funny because we're now in a situation where, if you remember Johnny. No, a good few years ago when Rangers, no, at the end of the whole kind of liquidation thing, and uh, Rangers kind of came out at, at the other end, you had fans, kind of, a lot of fans screaming at that time for, right, this is a fresh start, it's almost a kind of rebirth, let's, let's start from scratch, let's get a philosophy in place, let's put people in place, let's be like a Swansea City or a Southampton and let's have a, a style of play. I think at a certain point in time, that was the way for Rangers to go down. And it might still be the way. But unfortunately, for the last two or three years, and I say I don't know if you agree, it's not been like that. You had Mark Warburton come in, for instance, who, granted, had a clear style of play, and initially it was very good to watch. But behind the scenes, nothing was happening. There was no scouting system put in place. Apart from Graham Murty, ironically, coming in, I don't think there was any great developments with, with the academy and stuff like that. In terms of scouting, for instance, it was Frank McParland who went and got players and that was it. And unfortunately, in that time, Rangers have fell way behind Celtic. So I think the argument now is, 
is this what Rangers really need at this point in time? If Mark Allen is talking about the strategy and about the style and about the philosophy and, and stuff like that, it's all very well and good. I think you're taking a big risk because you're so far behind Celtic at that point to suddenly start start with this kind of this mantra in terms of going to find. I think the bottom line is Rangers need a manager who's going to come in right away and get results immediately somehow close the gap on Celtic, finish clear in second place, beat the rest of Scottish football hands down so that you're, you know, you can make that statement to say, you know, Rangers are back and we're going to be competing with Celtic again. And I just think, I just think it's a dangerous game that they're going down, taking take this, take this, sort of, uh, this sort of approach at this particular time when really they, need a, they just need a guy in to get results. I think it's dangerous assuming that any manager is no risk. Yeah. I remember Craig Levine coming into Scotland and everyone, everyone, yeah. myself included, thought he'd be a brilliant Scotland manager. Same with Gordon Strachan. And both of them were, were failures. Yeah, Levine, a massive failure. Of course, um, there's risk involved in every point. Absolutely. So my point would be that I don't think Derek McInnes is necessarily the panacea that some people think he is. I think he's a very good manager. And the thing about Derek McInnes is he's proven at this level. Yeah. So if he didn't succeed, it would be a surprise. Yeah. And and so he's less of a risk than, than a lot of other managers. I, th- I kind of agree with you and disagree with you. I think Rangers do need to have a club-led strategy yeah. because we're in 2017 and if you look at the major clubs in European football, from Man City to PSG to... To all the big clubs, Manchester United, they all have club-led strategies and philosophies because they know that management now is not the way it was 15, 20 years ago when managers would stay for three or four years. Now it's managers are coming through the door every couple of years, uh, maybe even less than that at the top clubs. And I think there needs to be a level of stability where every two years a manager's not coming in and ripping it all up and saying, what that last guy did was nonsense, it's completely at odds with what I believe, I'm going to change it. Because you get this situation where clubs tend to go from one extreme to the other. So you'll go Paul Le Guin, Walter Smith. Yeah. You know, and you go from a, a sort of a, a foreign coach who has um, technocratic ideas to a guy like Walter Smith who was all about winning. Um, and, and, you what's, know, um, that's not to do down Walter Smith. I think the club Celt- needs to have more what's, what's balance. Cel- what's Celtic's club led philosophy? Have they got one? Do we know, do we, know what I, I, we don't know much about it. If they do, it's certainly led by Brendan Rodgers. Exactly. Though. Well, I don't know about that. You know, I, I think it is now, but I think for years it's been led by Peter Lawl. Yeah. Um, but I think Rodgers now, obviously, the kind of character he is has come in. He's got the the kudos and the clout to come in and and, and have a much bigger say. I was listening to Sean Maloney talk last night, and he was talking about um, Sean. It was actually Sean Maloney and uh, Chris Commons, and they were talking about the way he's brought the Premiership, the, well, the Premier League quality to Celtic in terms of the nutrition. He's, the kitchens have completely changed. Yeah. Um, he's completely revolutionised aspects of the club that you don't even think about, we rarely hear about. He's also, in very simplistic terms, made players better yeah. as, a, as a coach. And that's such a simple thing, but sometimes underplayed. Um, no, a coach should be there to make players better. We've said it before, Brendan Rodgers hasn't brought in a raft of players. I mean, actual fact, when you look at it, some of the players he's brought in can't get a game. No, you're, 
uh, Abue Kuasses and, and Charles uh, Od- Odson right. Edward and people like that. So he's come in and made players better. As the manager, he is the main figure at the club. I'm not saying he runs it from top to bottom. He's got a very good chief exec and Peter Lowell, who you could argue almost does the di- director yeah, of football as well, as well as being chief exec. But, Ro- but Brendan Rodgers runs the show. And I think that's what Rangers need. I'm not saying Rangers are wrong to, you know, for the academy to have a mission statement and for to have a, you know, a, a style of play that they want to try and adopt and you know, bring it through the, the age groups and stuff like that. But unfortunately, and I keep saying this, where Rangers are at the minute, as a club, as a team, in terms of that gap to Celtic, in terms of struggling even to get, to get second place ahead of, ahead of the likes of Aberdeen, they need results now and they need a guy to come in who's going to take the bull by the horns like Brendan Rodgers did at Celtic after Ronnie Dyla and properly lead that club for the front and my fear is that this approach that they're taking as I say all very well and good all very professional I don't doubt Mark Allen and others are doing due diligence but if they come up with with all due respect a Herringberg, a, a, a whoever, and it doesn't go you know, the way it's supposed to go. If it goes wrong for them this time, in the same way that Kashinia did, they'll fall even <coughs> further behind and God knows where they go for there. No, I, I think you're right on that. I mean, they absolutely do need to bring in someone who I think has experience of Scottish football, primarily. I think there's a lot of talk about Rangers men and um, I don't necessarily think and bringing in someone British I don't necessarily think that's the case I think it needs to be someone who who has experience of our game so who doesn't need time to get used to the idiosyncrasies of it they don't have time to get used to the fact that every player tries harder against Rangers and Celtic so they look like better players the following week against Partick Thistle they're not the same they need to understand that there's a level of pressure coming with living in Glasgow and the, and, and the, the kind of microscope that's going to be on you in your personal life as well as your professional life where every single bad game is analysed on by people like us yeah. um, if a manager comes and understands that can can get that message across to players that he understands what they're going through because he's been through it himself I think that's going to be a major help so I think that's crucial and, and for me of, of the candidates the one that stands out that has that and let's not forget there is a progressive manager Derek McInnes um, he's the guy that has that so that's why he's the obvious candidate it's not this I've heard a lot of people on social media say oh, the people in the media are pals with Derek McInnes so you know they'll get given this, sweeties by him and all the rest of it this it's, is it's just, that, this whole this notion that you know, the media are getting behind Derek McInnes because they want him in the job because he's he's good to them and he's good with the media and you know, he's got friends that are, that, that are in the media it's just a nonsense. Any comment I've seen from, from journalists or pundits or whatever who are touting Derek McInnes for the job is simply because, as you've pointed out, he is the best man for the job at this particular time in terms of knowing the club, knowing Scottish football, having success, having got to a point at Aberdeen where it looks as though he can't take them any further. He's hit the, the glass ceiling there. He's the obvious candidate, but you just wonder, is this Rangers board 
whether it be Mark Allen or anybody else, almost looking at thinking, well, we don't want the obvious candidate. It's no, it's too easy. We've spoken about it before. This uh, no scenario where Mark Allen would have to go back to the board and say, right, right, chaps, I've found you your your new manager. It is Derek McInnes. <laughs> they could probably look at him and say, well, no, we could have probably got him, got him myself, Mark. But that's not getting away from the fact that he is the obvious candidate. And let's be honest, it might not be Derek McInnes. We're talking about it now. Probably won't be. It's going on so long. But if Mark Allen hasn't got Derek McInnes on some sort of list, I would argue if he's not even got Tommy Wright on some sort of list because of his experience in Scottish football, then there's something far wrong. I don't agree with you on Tommy Wright. We've, we've argued about this in the past <laughs> podcasts. But um, I, I do think that there is, from my point of view, I don't know inside what's going on. I think no one really does. No. But I do get a sense that there might be a clash here between what the director of football wants and what other people at the club want. Um, And I think they are correctly, Rangers are correctly giving him his place to go away and put together a list. Now it might be he comes back with five names, Derek McInnes isn't on it, and they go, to be honest Mark, thanks for putting together that list. We like the look of some of those names, but you know what, the guy that we've got here, we think he's the man for this job. None of those names fill us with any kind of confidence like Derek McInnes does. Um, now that might mean a rift come yeah. a few months down the line. I don't know. But you, think, you think Graham Murphy's on that list? Starting to wonder, you know. I'm starting to wonder because... So I, I, I've changed my tune on it a wee bit in terms of... I think I said to you maybe a week or two ago, I didn't think... Graham Murphy would be would be anywhere near it. I didn't think he would have a chance. But I'm beginning to wonder, you know. Um, some of the some of the stories that are coming out, yeah. it seems to be positioning Graham Murphy as part of this club-led philosophy, yeah. Yeah. how he fits in, and that narrative, he's a kind of perfect fit, isn't he? Yeah, he is. But, Johnny, there's been so many occasions in football, Scottish football, football across the world you've had an interim manager in charge he's had given that sudden buzz it's yeah. gone well he gets the full time job and then that's it the buzz kind of goes out the window absolutely I wouldn't give the job personally to Graham Murty because for that very reason I think yeah. he's too inexperienced for the Rangers job yeah. um, he doesn't have the CV for the Rangers job um, I mean we can argue all day about Pedro Cascina's CV the fact is a lot of people felt his CV wasn't up to it well his CV's a lot better than Graham Murty's yeah. so I think Murty would be best placed going back to the academy, having had another good spell, and um, and developing his skills, and maybe one day um, moving on to another club or becoming Rangers manager. I interviewed Murty recently. I was very impressed by him. He's got a, um, a he's got an empathy about him. He's a guy I think you could talk to, but he's also got a steel. I interviewed him after uh, the the young Rangers team played Leicester and got stuffed six one. He was raging. And you could you could sense that he was a guy that had both that compassion that you need as a manager of people, but also that bit of steel. Whether that translates to professional players who have seen it and done it all, I don't know. I think he's an impressive guy, but for me, I just think CV-wise and experience-wise, I think it's a huge call to give him the job. I mean, Walter Smith went from assistant manager, yeah. but he'd been the assistant manager at Dundee United under Jim McLean. Um, I'd taken them a, a UEFA Cup final in the semi-final of uh, the, the, the Champions League at the time 
Um, and then being under Sunis as well. So he had a lot more experience. I think Murty is... I think Graham Murty's last job before coming to Rangers was his Norwich youth coach. I think that's where he came from. So well, if you think with, with Rangers and ordin- you know, ordinarily, if they were looking for a manager, go and even consider a guy who was working as, as Norwich, youth, Norwich youth coach, no, they wouldn't. So I agree with Jory. I think Graham Murty's an impressive guy. I think he has got a bit about him. Is he a Rangers manager of the future, possibly? If he stays at the stays at the club and continues to to, prog- to progress. He'll obviously if he is going to impress, then he'll need to produce young players for the first team. That's that's his job. If he does that then he would come into your thinking maybe further down the line. But I agree with you, Gary. We spoke about it before. You've seen it so many times. Caretaker managers, they get the bounce. Players talk him up because basically they're so thankful that the last guy has got bulleted. They talk the caretaker up, they win two or three games, the board think we don't need to do anything here, just give this guy the job. And it's a cheap option. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And no, you go five, six games, suddenly it goes it goes a bit pear shaped and suddenly no the caretaker's lack of experience really kinda comes to the fore. Um but as I said earlier as Johnny says, that just this kind of narrative of almost you no know, a point from a point from within, somebody who's going to buy into the philosophy, somebody that knows the club, it just seems to be a lot of kind of you know, vibes coming out that that Graham Murty might actually have a chance at getting this job, which I didn't certainly didn't think would be the case a few weeks ago, and obviously if he beats Hamilton on Saturday wins three games in a row, which, which Pedro Cachina couldn't do, then he's got even more of a shout for it. And some of the other names that have come up, Scott, we've obviously had uh, Gavin's exclusive on Henning Berg this morning, yep. Gus Poy, Tim Sherwood, their names getting bandied about. If it's not Derek McInnes, if it's not Graham Marty, is there anyone that particularly stands out for you? Um, listen, there are so many names. I mean, how do you know how these guys are going to are going to react to you know, being thrown into Scottish football. I mean, we spoke about Steve McLaren a couple of weeks ago and you know, a good CV, apart for a couple of blips recently, very good CV, very good coach, worked at the highest level. But you're going to spend millions of pounds on a guy that doesn't know Scottish football, doesn't know Rangers. It's a huge gamble. And after Kashinia, can this Rangers board afford a huge gamble? I don't think, I don't think they can. You, you said it earlier, I mean, 21 days we've been waiting. I think when you leave it that long, you then can't complain when it becomes silly season, almost when names are just being banded about, guys are throwing their, 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 their kind of hat into the ring. I mean, for, like Tim Sherwood, for instance, I, mean, I think that basically, that basically came from uh, a Sky show last night, I think, basically saying, I think it was a punter that had, uh, tweeted a question and saying, would you go for the Rangers job, of course he's going to be, he's going to say he's interested, he's been out of work for a while, he'd like to get back in, he'll certainly not be on Mark Allen's list, I wouldn't have thought so. Um, if the media were um, promoting people that would be good for the media, well we'd be he'd, he'd all be going for Tim Sherwood. because Gus Poy would be good as well. Yeah. Um, so at, in terms of being silly season, I think what we can say about that is that Henningberg to me is slightly slightly different. I, I think Henningberg 
at least is a serious candidate in terms of he's played for Rangers. He's you know, synonymous with, with British football because he's time at Man Man United and Rangers and, and others. Um, he's had relative success so far in his managerial career, whether it be, I think he was reasonably successful in Norway. He's obviously won titles in Poland, missed out, uh, missed out the title on the last day in Hungary in his, mo- his most recent job. Um, as Johnny says, you need to know Scottish football, there can't be any surprises. You need to know the club. Henningberg ticks, ticks those boxes. I'm not saying... My problem with Henningberg probably comes down to personality, charisma. Um, he was a great great player in his day, but that, that doesn't make you a great manager. Um, and I think... If I think of like a Henningberg going up against Brendan Rodgers, um, I, I, I would struggle to see you know, Henningberg leading this Rangers team. Come back to what I spoke to before, showing real, real personality, real leadership, real charisma to get Rangers moving in the right direction. I would have reservations about that, but I certainly think Berg, having come forward and having applied, is a candidate that Rangers will certainly, certainly consider. Yeah, I spoke to a Norwegian journalist on Twitter and he said that he knows his football but he's not the larger-than-life personality you need in that job. Yeah. I think I do think to be manager of Rangers, you do need to have a bit about you. Um, I think the guys that have been a little bit more introspective as, Ranger manager, as Rangers manager haven't done particularly well. Um, you look at people like Paul Le Guin, whereas the Rangers managers that have gone down well, you talk about people like Jock Wallace... Yeah. Big strong personalities. Um, I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but it's it's what's happened in the past. And I read a piece in the record online as well yesterday. I think it said that um, of the trophies that have been won by Rangers managers, 75% have been people who have been linked to the club in one way or another before they took the manager's job, whether that be through being a player or being an assistant manager, or they've in some way been working for the club in some capacity. So the other thing you say as well is that. From the outset, the kind of message coming out for Rangers, certainly at the start of this process, was that they wanted a British manager. I think any foreign manager, even if it was a Henningberg who knows Rangers, no, or a Giovanni Van Bronckers, for instance, who knows Rangers, knows knows the club. I just think they're taking that. They would be taking a big risk and down the foreign route mm-hmm. uh, after Cashinia. I think the majority of fans. Majority of fans just want want the right guy, but I think if they had to choose, they would want a British manager this time after after the way it ended for Pedro. I I agree with you in that because I think it, it would be a gamble bringing in somebody that doesn't that doesn't know the Scottish game. But I think if you were to talk about a big name, a unifying name, say someone like a Slavin Bilic or a yeah. or a Frank De Boer, even I know he's had his I know he's had his ups and downs as managerial career, but someone like that would cut across this still though it would be a gamble even yeah. to appoint one of those guys because again it's that thing you just you need you need time to adapt to Scotland it is different I mean we had Alex Rain here last week and he was telling us in real detail about the pressure the mental toughness you need to be a Rangers player it's understated people don't understand Alex Ray is a Rangers fan you, you know from childhood said he didn't get it until yeah. he put on the jersey, until he walked around Glasgow and was badgered every day, every hour. Um, 
there is a special kind of pressure that comes for playing for Rangers or Celtic that is only matched by a few clubs outside of Scotland and in, in Europe. Talking time scales as well, the interesting thing is Rangers have Hamilton this weekend in a trip to Dens, then they've got a double header with Aberdeen and that could play into the whole Derek McInnes thing. So when do Rangers need to get a manager in place by? As soon as possible, I think. Um, the board obviously looked at the you know, the few games coming up <coughs> kind of either side of the international break and thought Let's be honest. They thought Derek Mc, uh, Graham Murty can get us can get us through the, these few games. Graham Murty could probably get them through Hamilton, and even even Dundee as well. Even though he lost at Dennis Park, his last uh, his last stint as interim manager. Appointing a new manager and saying go and beat Aberdeen though over in two exactly. games. That, that's, that's why. That's a tough gig. Of course it is, but that, that's why it should have been done sooner. He gave them. A couple of games, no, without being disrespectful to Hamilton or, or Dundee or Partick Thistle, but just to give them a couple of games to bed in. Um, as you say, if the new guy comes in and his first, uh, his first task is a as a you know, powder keg double header against Aberdeen, I mean if that goes wrong in your first two games, you're you know, you're behind eight ball from the off I mean arguably they could be two Rangers biggest games of the season in terms of trying to finish second as well well we, we've said loads of time on this podcast that look, Rangers target is Aberdeen it's not Celtic That's, yeah. it's just ridiculous you know to have come third last season they need to focus on the next step and that's second they say in football you know concentrate on your on the next game well the next game the next step for Rangers is to, to, become, yeah. to come second Celtic that'll come in time if, if you want a manager for the Aberdeen games, who knows Aberdeen better than better than anyone? Yeah. You get Derek McInnes in, he knows Aberdeen inside out, he knows their strengths, their weaknesses, he must know um no, he must know how, how he would set up a team against Aberdeen because he's worked with A players so long in terms of to get a result. Yeah. And also Aberdeen at that point would be without a manager, you would imagine. So how how are the players feeling? They'd, they'd then be in the process of trying to get a manager. I know it sounds silly, but having Derek McInnes in place for those two Aberdeen games could be a huge advantage in terms of Rangers trying to get six points, trying to get above Aberdeen into second, and then kicking on for there. Yeah, I mean, the psychological damage of taking Aberdeen's manager off yeah. them, the, the most successful manager since Sir Alex Ferguson, for a double header that is incredibly important would, would be huge it's a, it's a, it should be a deadly blow yeah. um, but it remains to be seen whether that will be happening as we've already said I don't think either of us feel that it's going to be the case now um, I think it will be odd if they appoint Derek McInnes now I think questions will be asked um, the way this recruitment process has gone if if we get to a week's time and they're appointing Derek McInnes yeah. four, four weeks and a few days after if it's taken, that, if it's taken that long to get the most obvious appointment <laughs> then questions have to be asked and if you're Derek McInnes no, you're being asked about this for three, four weeks it must be in his mind whether there's going to be an approach whether he's going to have a, a decision to make but if you're Derek McInnes and you're sitting thinking it's taken four and a half weeks to, ask, to even ask me the question or approach Aberdeen what have they been doing for four and a half weeks who have they asked before me about the job no 
Suddenly that, that, that would put doubts even in his mind. So. And if he had concerns about working under a director of football before, yeah, then you've got to think that now he's going to have even bigger concerns. I still think he'll take the job. I mean, yeah, he would. I think because of the reasons we spoke about in terms of where he's taken Aberdeen to, what, what more can he achieve? I think you're right, if it really came down to the crunch, he would take it, but there are huge question marks about how he would work in that environment, in that structure with the director of football. I mean, that's the thing about some of the other names I've mentioned, like a Henningberg, for instance. I don't think he would have any qualms at all about working with a director of football. I'm assuming he's maybe did it with, with one of his previous clubs before, but even so, he would be so desperate to get into this job that he would say, yep, I'll, I'll work with a director of football, no problem. It's a kind of... No, it's a kind of foreign thing anyway. You know, foreign managers tend to be tend to be used to that kind of structure. Whereas we've spoke before about how Derek McInnes would like kind of total autonomy, Brendan Rodgers style almost. Um, so there are huge question marks. And that's why you, you thought that they would ask Derek McInnes early because all these things would need to be ironed out. You would need to surely gauge whether McInnes is willing to work with Mark Allen. You would like to think... He would, he would need to meet him, find out his strategy, philosophies are. There's so much work would go into it, you think they would have had, had, to, had to have done it earlier than this. And the fact that they haven't, as we spoke about right for the off, would suggest that maybe maybe McInnes isn't the man for them. The Steve McLaren links as well, that wasn't coming from nowhere, I don't think. I don't think that was a name that was just plucked out the ether by, a, by you know someone yeah. fishing. I think there's some substance to that. Everything that I've heard, that there might have been some substance to that. I don't think it's going to happen now. But that kind of gives you a pointer into the direction I think they're going down. And it kind of fits what you would expect based on Mark Allen's previous experience down south. Um, there's also the money issue with McInnes that we've not spoke about. I mean, it's, it's been uh, no, it's widely accepted that it's going to take... Oh, at least eight hundred thousand pound to get Derek McInnes and, and Tony Dockery and well, it probably shouldn't be, but that's a considerable amount of money for Rangers to go and go and fork out in a new manager. I think personally it would be worth it, and I think they should go and they should go and do it, do whatever it takes to get them there. But you just wonder if there's other managers out there, whether it be Marty, Berg, McLaren, guys that wouldn't maybe wouldn't cost you certainly wouldn't cost you as much to, to get them um, irrespective of wages and stuff but you just wonder whether that's maybe putting them off I'm not saying the money's not there but is it is it just are they thinking pff, 800 grand to go and get a guy for, guy for Aberdeen well, considering the amount of money they've spent and some of the players they've brought well, in it would certainly be a worthwhile investment yeah. in comparison yeah. yeah absolutely I mean you've got to look at Peña for example I mean I've, it's been said in our paper that the combination of Peña and Herrera's wages is over £40,000 a week yeah. now that money is not going anywhere these are not players that are going to be easy to ship out now there might be some interest from Mexico I don't know but I would suspect they'll be slightly more difficult to ship on than, for example, the Warburton players who had a background yeah. in England. Um, I was interested that Pena was supposed to be in the squad last night. He wasn't. Does that mean he's going to feature against Hamilton? I doubt it. I wouldn't have thought so. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Just to round off the section on the manager search, mm. 
do you think yes or no Johnny that Derek McInnes will be the next manager of Rangers I think at the moment I'm 70 no 30 yes the evidence is there to say this is looking increasingly likely that it won't be Derek McInnes we know that Derek McInnes would probably like the job we know that it's an attractive job we know that he's the leading candidate in Scottish football Will Rangers want to give it to him? That's the million dollar question. He should get the job. He should be going from 100%. But I'm now at 50-50. Because of this delay, because of the fact there's been no contact whatsoever, because there's been so many other names mentioned, because of the Mark Allen factor, I'm now totally at 50-50 in terms of will will it be McInnes or not. Whereas... If you'd asked me, even a week ago, two weeks ago, I'd have said 100%, but I don't think that's the case now. Okay, moving on now, we said we were going to talk about Michael O'Halloran. Does he have a future at Rangers? His loan spells up at St Johnston in January. Obviously, he's really impressed while he's been there. He's had five goals and 11 appearances for the Saints. What can he bring to Rangers, and will a new manager want to bring him back and put him in the first team? In terms of what he brings is sheer pace in behind uh, in, in an attacking area. Um, he can also finish, he's got goals in him, as you've pointed out. Um, I don't think he's an out-and-out right winger uh, who's going to be chained to the touchline. And I don't think he's particularly great at kinda, you know, standing up a defender and you know, producing a trick to go past him. Uh, or cutting inside, I think. I think when he's when he finds himself in that position, he's kinda a default setting is just to knock it past him and use that pace to try and get to the byline. And he's a decent he's decent at that, uh, to be fair to him. But as I say, I think his real strength is pace in behind from a kind of central area or playing off the, the front. But only in certain games. I, I can totally understand why Michael O'Halloran hasn't played uh, as many games for Rangers as he would have liked because I see a lot of Rangers games, particularly at Ibrooks, and there's no space in behind. I mean, it's team, I mean, Partick Thistle a couple of weeks ago camped in their own hall, uh, camped in their own half, barely get past the you know, the 18-yard line. For me, you can't use Michael O'Halloran in a, in a game like that. I mean, to me, going away from home to Petrodre or Celtic Park, even Tyne Castle, or it might be away from home in Europe. Or as a sub, like that. yeah, again. A, impact sub when there's when there's the game opens up a bit and there's space. Or if Rangers, as I say, away to Celtic, away to Aberdeen, maybe in Europe, where Rangers are maybe sitting in a bit trying to play in the counter attack, that's where you use them. So, can he have a future at Rangers? He can because if a new manager sees that and sees those qualities, I think you would look at Michael O'Hara and say, you know what, he might not be a regular starter for me, but he's a good guy to have in the squad because I look around the squad and I've not really got anybody like that, so I can use him sparingly but effectively in certain games and certain situations. Do you feel he can add a bit more dynamism to the Rangers midfield, Johnny? I I agree with a lot of what Scott said. Um, He's lightning quick. However, I do think we get back to the Alex Ray point I made earlier on about mentality. I don't think he's ever really settled at Rangers, looked comfortable at Rangers. And I think Rangers have a lot of players that have great attributes, 
butter up and down or inconsistent. Perhaps that's symptomatic of the the level they're shopping at. But I think players like Windass, um, to some extent, Tavernier, um, although I like Tavernier as a player, players that have a lot of quality but don't really quite show it, I'd put Michael Halloran in that category. I think that he could be very useful in away games if Rangers are under the cosh, or even if they're ahead later later on in a game, the space is open up, as Scott says, yeah. they're maybe 1-0 up or 2-0 up and a team's coming on to them. Michael Halloran's the perfect sub to bring on. However, I do think it's asking a lot for him to not play against the, the lower lights of the league or the teams that Rangers would dominate and then come in for just the big games. I'm not sure he's that, that Kenny Miller-type mentality where it's yeah. the big games. So I think fundamentally for me, I, I can see him being useful for a new manager. I can see a new manager coming and going. I can see, I can see ways I can use this guy, but I don't see him having a long-term future at, at, at Rangers. I think he's the kind of player that will do well as a big fish in a small pond at a club like St. Johnson where they're building the team around them. The way they play is is designed to be <coughs> the best in them. Um, I also think Tommy Wright has handled him really well at St. Johnson. You talk about that mentality thing. No, a manager can work on that. that, that you know, in modern football, that surely has to be part of a manager's, a manager's job now to work on, on players kind of psychologically and I think and Michael Har and myself and Tommy Wright has spoke about that that aspect of it. Uh, and Tommy Wright seems to know how to get the best out of it. It seems to be this kind of arm round the shoulder approach. Um, I know it's a bit of a cliche, but it seems to have worked for for O'Hallor and, and Wright at St Johnson. No, compare and contrast that to you know, the way Pedro Casinha dealt with him, where you know, he was coming in at six in the morning to train, you know, as a, as punishment for. Um, Apparently not turning up to a, an under uh, an under twenties game or whatever, so there was there was conflict there for the off, and cl- I think Johnny's right. I don't think Michael O'Halloran would react well to that kind of management and to get the best out of him. It needs a certain approach. Uh, Pedro clearly didn't have that with him, but as we've said, with a new manager coming in, they could have that. They could work on that, and you know, and, and maybe get the best out of him at Rangers. Looking ahead to the weekend then, uh, Murty has a chance to get that elusive three wins in a row against Hamilton. How do you expect this one to go, Johnny? And do you see some of the fringe players coming in? Um, last night, Rangers, our Rangers team went to Berwick 1-4-0 with the likes of Dalcio playing, Herrera getting a good run out, Hodson, Cardoso back. Are they going to feature in the first team this weekend? I don't think so. Um, I think Murty is showing a... Uh pretty strong will in terms of keeping a, a, the same team if it's a winning team um, based on the fact that the best play, paid player at Rangers Bruno Alves um, was left out in favour of Ross McCrory so I don't see any need given that Rangers in the back of two wins to change anything and I don't think they will I, I think Murty will, will keep it solid keep it the same shape um, look to Kenny Miller to come in and and playing that sort of number 10 role we've talked about in depth, but give them a bit of zip in midfield. Jason Holtz obviously added a bit, and I think they'll take care of Hamilton quite comfortably, and Murray will get that that third one in a row. I think it'll go very similar to the, the way the Partick Thistle game went. I agree with Johnny. Graham Murty strikes me as a guy who will just kind of uh, go on the premise that you know, if it ain't broke, don't, don't fix it. Um, and that means, as uh, it might be a surprise to some, but... No, it means Bruno Alves, Cardozo, people like that. 
um, probably will be, be left out again and he'll probably no, it's good for him in a sense that he can keep the same team because it is a winning team but it means he can have a, a really strong bench you know, if these guys come back and you know, if you've got Alves and Cardozo on the bench for instance then you know, you've a wee bit of strength and depth which hasn't always been the case with Rangers this season but I agree I think he'll, he'll no play it safe but he'll go with the same he'll just try to continue what he's done the last couple of games and if it's not working for some reason against Hamilton he can at least look at the bench and you know, he might have a bit of quality there for once that can maybe maybe change things up a wee bit What have you made of the form of Alfredo Morelos recently Scott? I mean came or, uh, came into the club made an immediate impact bags of goals he's now not scored in the last eight games he's clearly going through a going through a week and a mini goal drought but I really like Morelos I must admit of all the of all the summer signings um, that Kashinia made he's the one that that excites me not just in a I can hear in now sense but he's young enough I think he looks hungry to learn he's you no know, he works hard um, he's got real potential not just at Rangers but even if Rangers are looking further down the line we've spoken about this so many times before that they should be getting guys at that kind of age from provincial leagues and hopefully in a few years going selling them for a big a big profit and that to me Morelos is a a prime example of that of what could maybe be achieved later on although he's struggling for goals I don't think he's played particularly badly in in the the few games we've seen I mean I think of the the Murrayfield game against Hearts where he does brilliantly he kind of peel off good control goes inside and slips a a lovely ball through for Miller he scores so he's still contributing clearly he he needs a goal he'll want a goal the problem if Murty did want to take him out is that there's not really anybody as backup. I don't think Herrera has shown enough that you would go and trust him to be the to be the lone striker. Ma- that's that's one. I mean, as we say, Miller. I don't think Miller suited to the to the number ten role uh, as we've discussed many times. Even though he, he can he can do a job in there, but sometimes I I do look at Kenny Miller nowadays and look at Rangers and I think God. Why did they not just put Miller up front? That that's where his best position is. Um, and again, he showed that with the, those goals against Hearts, two uh, two really well worked goals, great header for the for the setting. So that's an option for Murty. Put Miller up top and get somebody else in behind him. Because he's a young lad, Morelos. I don't think it would do him any harm. Just take the pressure Pull off out. him a little bit. Pull him out for the Hamilton game. You can put him back in yeah. uh, against Dundee. The thing I think that sets Morelos apart as, as a Colombian um, brought into Scottish football with no experience of the game here um, a completely different style of football yeah. uh, he, would, he would have grown up in and then obviously I know Finland's more physical but certainly not the same standard as Scottish football yeah. but he's taking to it right away he's he? taking to it right yeah. away it's the, the level of commitment that he shows yeah. very unusual for a, for a player coming in from South America um, even Europe he, he really gets stuck in he likes the physical aspect of the game he Christoph Berra is a tough guy. Yeah. Six foot three, six foot four. Christoph Berra, big, strong centre half. As you say at Murrayfield, he got stuck right into yeah. him, and he, he's not a big guy, Morelos, but, but he's, where, he's bullish. He's bullishly strong. That's where Rangers deserve a lot of credit for going and getting him because you're right. No, this guy went from Colombia to Finland. I mean, you can imagine getting off the plane from Colombia and you, you've you've arrived in Finland. I mean, you'd be sent to your agent just 
get me back on that plane again. Uh, and you've seen the weather and that over there, so... But he adapted right away, and his goal record shows that, no, it didn't bother him the slightest. He's no... Uh, no, he's, he's prepared to kind of get his hands dirty, if you're right, doing, doing that kind of ugly side of, the, side of the game. And clearly, he is a goal scorer, albeit going through this, this tough spell at the minute. But Rangers deserve a lot of credit for going plucking him for a million pound. There must have been other clubs had sniffed about, sniffed about him you know, in Europe because of that, because of that goal record. No, Jonathan Johansson, we think had a big, had a big say in that. Obviously, we has, we has contacts over there. But I think of all the guys we've spoke before about your, your Alves and Dorans and guys, Ryan Jack. You kinda knew what you were going to get for them. Morelos, to most of us here, was an unknown quantity. But I think so far. He's, he's been a he's been a big successful. He's not been missing sitters either. That's the other thing. I mean, he's been heavily involved with the work um, yeah. of of the team. So he's created goals and and he's pulled defenders out of position that's allowed other players to get in and score. Um, I think certainly the wide players, Candias and Windas, have both. Well, I think Windas has scored in the last two games. Candias has scored a decent amount of goals this season, and a lot of that is because Morelos is pulling players out of position with clever movement physical strength and allowing them the space to get in and score goals. And you just have to look at the reaction of the Rangers fans towards him. If you see him, if you say his yeah. name on Twitter or you talk about him, they're very, very, very positive. Now that's very unusual at Ibrox for a striker who's going eight games without a goal. Yeah. I, I remember Alan McCoy going through periods where he didn't score a goal for maybe three games and people are going Pellers. You know, he's getting pillars. You know, eight games and he's he's still universally uh, held up as, as a great signing so I think that, that speaks volumes about the, the level of effort and industry that he's putting in Talking of Ali McCoy there, a player that um, played alongside him uh, a few years back now it was Brian Loudrup now he gave his views on the Rangers manager position this week so we thought we'd just look back briefly at his career he retired at only 31 years old and some of his most memorable moments were the 9 in a row clincher at Celtic the famous Loudrup final. Will we see his likes again at, at Ibrooks, Johnny? I don't think so. I mean, you're talking about a player that went from Bayern Munich to Fiorentina to AC Milan, um, that went from Rangers to Chelsea and then to Ajax. I mean, what a lineup of teams to have played for. I mean, he played alongside Van Basten and Baresi at, at Milan. Um, the Fiorentina lineup that he was alongside was uh, included Batistuta. Um, and there was there was a couple of other great players on that Fiorentina team. They actually went down, but, but it was a, it was a it was a great te- it was a great team of individuals. Um, so he had real pedigree. That's the first thing. Um, wonderful player to watch and incredible ability of just knocking the ball past a player. Um, he was one of these players. You know, you often hear guys in their sixties and seventies waxing lyrical about the Jimmy Johnson as this. Jimmy Johnson's of this world who would knock the ball past and then knock it back and tie tie uh, fullbacks up in knots. Well, that that was the player that we got a sense of that with. Um, I think growing up in the nineties for, for for myself, Scott's a similar age to me. So he was the one player that could do that, and uh, he, he was just a, a joy to watch. He could do almost everything. Um, even he could even head the ball as you saw with the, the goal that that actually literally. Yeah. clinched nine in a row yeah. um, you know the header against Dundee United um, he, he wasn't renowned for his heading no. was he? he was one of these guys he didn't he look that quick yeah. with a ball at his feet no he would just glide past players yeah. um, he certainly 
along with Paul Gascoigne, uh, along with Paul Gascoigne and Henry Larson, probably the three, you know, the three best players in my my lifetime that I've seen grace Scottish football. Um, in a Rangers sense, it would obviously be Gascoigne and Loudrop. Going to be slightly controversial and say for me, Gascoigne was better, which might surprise a lot of people. But for me, Gascoigne just did that that edge on Loudrop, that something really special. But that's taken nothing away for Loudrop. He was a phenomenon. No, uh, Johnny spoke about you know, where he came from. We're never going to see guys like Rangers and Celtic. Nowadays, I'm never going to get guys facing Milan or, or, or Bayern Munich or whatever. It's just the landscape has changed so much. Um, but some of the games and goals that Loudrop played in, aside for the ones Johnny's mentioned, I remember uh, watching him in the, I think it was his first Old Firm game at Hamden against Celtic, when, when Celtic were using Hamden as their, their home ground 3-1. Yeah, I remember it was, that. It was Charlie Miller's first, first Old Firm game as well, I remember that. And Loudrop, I mean, poor Barry Smith. Barry Smith was at right back that day and Loudrop just had him in toast. Uh, scored the third goal for Rangers. Uh, it was an game I remember. I, I, I think it might have been his first goal for Rangers against Dundee United at Ibrooks. And I remember watching that game and it was early in the season. And Loudrop, I think the, the punters were kind of looking at Loudrop thinking, ah, this guy's, this guy's decent. And then he scored a goal against Dundee United where he kind of broke, broke for the middle of the park and hit one for like 20, 25 yards in the top corner. And it was genuine, a kind of genuine wow moment, this guy. This guy's some, something special. And he had a great career at Rangers. He's in the greatest ever 11, quite rightly so. Um, and to answer your question, I, I just don't think we'll see... I don't think we'll see anyone like that grace, uh, grace Scottish football, not, not in the near future, anyway. If there's one slight issue with, with Loudrop at Rangers, it was that in Europe he never quite reached the heights yeah. that he did domestically. But I think you could say that across the whole team, even Gascoigne. Yeah. Um, Rangers fans must look back on that era and wonder why on earth didn't we do better in Europe? Because the three foreigner rule was then, though, wasn't that, that probably played a played a part in it. It, 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 def- it definitely did, um, but I think uh, Walter Smith himself later acknowledged that he played too open. He was too. Yeah. He was. He approached the games in a similar way to the way he approached domestic games. games yeah. He completely changed. One of the things I admire about Walter Smith was, was his his ability to learn from his mistakes, and he al- he always did. And I think in the second spell, I think he did very very well with a much more limited team. Um, if they could have been, those players could have been harnessed properly. Um, Rangers could have been a real force in Europe at that time. It's, it's, it was a shame because I think the three foreigner did fall out later on, the yeah, sort of 96, yeah. 97. Um, if they could have found a way to get those te- those players. If Walter Smith could have put Loudrop in his 2008 team, no, that would have been something something special because you know, that team was built on solidity, uh, resilience. You know, they showed that right through the, the UEFA Cup run. But no, when they got to the final, or even certain games before the final, Rangers just lacked that wee bit of quality in key areas, somebody to come up with something. If you could have just sprinkled that, that team with a bit of loud up, even playing him as a lone striker, which Walter did a lot, no, towards, maybe not towards the end of Loudrop's time, but during his time, remember uh, games when he went to Celtic Park and he would play loud up 
up top and say I forgot about that it's, it's, yeah. a, it's sort of invented the false nine yeah it's honestly the, I mean I think that the game that sticks out was the, the famous Van Vossen game Loudrop played up front his own that night scored early on another great goal for outside the box um, so if you could have just thrown him into that that 2008 team then no, that that could have taken that could have taken that team up another level and might have won them that European trophy. One other thing I think was important about Brian Ledrup is he really took to the the dressing room. Yeah, I think he was a player. He, we talked about um, Michael O'Hara needing to be loved. I think he was exactly the same because I think although he was incredibly talented, he had gone to these enormous clubs with huge stars and maybe not been at the top echelon of those clubs despite having incredible talent. So I think when he came to Rangers, where he was the main man, when he had a manager that that man-managed him, that made him feel wanted, that made him feel appreciated, that made him the core of the team, um, and also the, the camaraderie that went on amongst those nine-in-a-row nine guys, I think he really bought into it, bought into it and yeah. fit into it in a way that you would never have expected yeah. from this this kind of erudite, sophisticated yeah. European um, superstar or European aristocrat of football. It was great to watch, and Scottish football is a poor for not having players like that lighting up. And just out of interest, Johnny, is it Gaza or Lydrup for you? Who's better? I would disagree with Scott there. I would go for Lydrup because he did it more consistently over a longer period for Rangers. Um, and just for me, looking back, I like the fact that, that, that Brian Lydrup lived his life in the right way he was a real role model he was always on and off the pitch the perfect professional although I wouldn't say anything like that Gaza's reputation was tarnished in any way I just I like the fact that youngsters could look up to Brian Lidrup in every way and he and he, I think on the pitch as well um, he was so quick and he had the ability to just cut teams open I mean Gascoigne had that as well it's so difficult, it's so difficult. I find myself sort of slightly disagreeing with myself as I'm saying these things but I think he just edges it just that's all from us this week we will be back on Sunday from 6pm with a special episode you won't want to miss as Alex Ray talks us through the story of his career from being released by Walter Smith as a youngster all the way through to Helicopter Sunday Alex is as honest and funny as you would expect don't miss it if you want to get in touch with us to continue the debate you can I'm on Twitter at Gary A Journal and Scott McDermott is Scott McDermott 8 and Johnny McFarlane is at Johnny R McFarlane don't forget to subscribe at iTunes or Audioboom to get the podcast as soon as it's available if you liked it please review and rate us there too thanks for listening Bye.